Will you join me in a moment of prayer? Awesome and almighty God, we greet you this day as people who desire to be doers of your word, not merely hearers of your word, but we also desire to learn what your intent and what your goal is so that the lives that we lead bring honor and glory for you. Help us to reflect on our traditions. Help us to, to consider what we've set up and why we've set it up and how it may bring honor and glory to you. Give us the opportunity to be open to your spirit, to listen to your moving, and to analyze when you are inviting us to take that next step of faith. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to go down to San Diego for a school called the School of Congregational Development. And at that training, it was a United Methodist training that was put on by the general church, offering us support and tools and techniques to talk about discipleship and to figure out how we might grow our churches intentionally, not just adding numbers to the seat, but really helping our congregations grow spiritually and faithfully to become the best disciples possible. And it was a great honor to be there. Each one of the larger general sessions that they had, they would have a speaker that would come and present some information to us. And then they would have someone that would come and respond back. Sometimes it was question and answer. Sometimes it was a second sermon altogether. Sometimes it was, I appreciate what you have to say. And what you're saying has inspired me to say this in return. One of the presentations was by a professor who lives down in San Diego and teaches at the University of California at San Diego and studies millennials and the I generation and what the trends and what's going on in their lives and how our world has changed from when we were growing up to the experience that our children are having today. And she presented all of this information about the technology and the benefits and the drawback without making any sort of value remark or criticism about the fact that our world is changing. She was just naming some of the effects that it had. And then the person who responded to that was our annual conference's director of communication. His name is James Chang, or Kang, and he works in the conference office. And he was prayerful as he came forward to the gathering. And he said, I want you to hear what she's saying. And I want you to not just take this information about the general changes in generations as, as just information, but I want you to prayerfully consider how it applies to your church. I know you guys are in the midst of your readiness 360, um, work, and I know that that can be one where you spend a lot of time 
analyzing and discerning and figuring out who you are as a people of God and who God is calling you to be. And one of the things that James challenged us, James Kang, the conference director, not James the scripture that we're reading today. I tend to do that to myself where I have the same name over and over again, so I need to clarify. So I'm talking about James Kang right now. Um, He challenged us to not just start from a place of who are we, but to look larger or look at a larger picture. Because when we look in and we just ask who we are, he didn't say this, but these are my words, we're kind of navel-gazing. And we're not taking the time to look at what our larger community is about. And he encouraged us to not just stay focused on that question, but instead to go back to some of the Wesleyan questions of our heritage. And one of the foremost questions that James brought up to us was, how is it with your soul? Because that's a question that was asked on a regular basis at every class meeting, every time Methodists got together, they would sit down and ask each individual person, how is it with your soul? But James challenged us. He challenged us to not think about it as, how is it with each of our individual soul? How is it with my soul? How is it with Don's soul? How is it with Mark's soul? But how is it with our soul? Because if we're right with our soul, but the soul of our community is not well, then we're not doing our best at living out our faith in real and tangible ways. I think that that's kind of what Jesus was doing in the scripture lesson this morning. He had these Pharisees and scribes that were really focused on how is it with my soul and what are the right things that I need to do to be right with God. And, he was so, and they were so focused on what are the rules telling us that we need to do that they weren't taking the time to look at the larger picture of their community to figure out how the people of faith in that time were hindered by the rules that had been set forth. That's not to say that the rules were bad. That's not to say that the rules needed to be thrown out. They just needed to be considered differently. Jesus was, was confronting the traditions of the elders, the rules that they had set in place because of the fact that they, they knew what God had asked them to do. And they said, okay, to make sure that we always abide by these rules, we're going to put this rule and 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 kind of guard the rule so that we make sure that we are doing everything that we can to not break any of the rules of God. But in the process, they were making it so complicated that people who were trying to be faithful but had more difficulties in life struggled to reach that place. So they were accusing Jesus of not abiding by the laws of God. And Jesus said, no, you're calling out a tradition as opposed to God's intent by this law. You are drawing out something that our group has said. They were working, sorry, when I go off my notes, then I have to go back and I get lost. Um, Our modern ears sometimes get confused by the accusations that the Pharisees made. And we might even think that they're ridiculous and trivial. But they're asking a legitimate question, a question that still has relevance for us today. Consider the context. 
The first century Jews, among whom Jesus ministered, were an oppressed minority living in an occupied land. How were they supposed to keep their faith pure and vibrant against a backdrop of colonization? In the midst of profound religious and cultural diversity, how were they to maintain their identity, their integrity, their heritage? The Pharisees' solution to the problem is to contain and codify the sacred. How can God's people show forth their faith amongst a group of people who do not believe what they believe? They can practice the ancient rituals of their elders down, uh, of their elders down to the last letter. They can wash their hands before every meal, refuse table fellowship with tax collectors, prostitutes, and other morally compromised sinners, and set themselves apart in everyday life as God's righteous and holy people. But quoting the prophet Isaiah, Jesus rebukes the Pharisees, saying, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. What he's saying there is, is that they're doing a really good job at listening to the, like following the letter of the law and doing all the things that they're supposed to, but their hearts aren't in the right place because their hearts aren't in the place of we are a people together and if, we, and if we are a people together, then we need to make sure that everyone is getting through this process well. It's important to note that Jesus doesn't condemn ritual handwashing as his response to the Pharisee. He doesn't argue that all of the religious traditions are evil. What he indicts is the legalism, self-righteousness, and exclusivism that keeps the Pharisees from freely loving God and loving their neighbors in ways that are relevant to their time and place. What he challenges is their unwillingness to evolve, to mature, and to change for the sake of God's kingdom. What he grieves is the Pharisees' compulsive need to police the boundaries, to decide who's in and who's out based on their narrow definition of purity and piety. This comes into play in our everyday world as well. Before I went to seminary, I was a youth director in Orange County for several years. And I had a young man in my youth group who was in a constant argument with God because his mother died too young and he felt like she was stolen from him and he was angry. And instead of directing his anger at his father or his family or any of the people in his life, he directed his anger at God. And I had the honor of being his youth director. And I say the honor because he challenged me as much as I challenged him. And over the course of a few years, we got to the place that while he was angry with God, he was willing to recognize that he wanted a relationship with God. But it was slow, and it was tenuous, and it was something that he struggled with greatly. I finally got him to agree to go to worship with us on a Sunday like this where we had communion set and ready to go. And he got into the worship space and he was wearing a baseball hat. And an usher came up to him and said, you need to take that hat off if you're gonna come into this place. And the usher and this youth basically got into an argument and this youth walked out the door. 
I am sad to say that that youth does not claim a faith in God at this moment. It's like he's now, I'm not even sure if he qualifies as a young adult, but that's besides the point. He, he no longer claims a faith in God. And that breaks my heart. Because we had this rule, we have this rule still to this day, that in showing honor and respect to those that were amongst us and those and to this place and the God that we're worshiping, we're going to take off our hats in a place of worship. The usher was trying to honor that rule, that rule that's been passed down for I'm not even sure how long, without getting to know the heart of this young individual that they were talking to. He was so focused on the rule that he didn't see a young person crying out, saying, I want to know this God. I want to be in relationship. I may even be willing today to go forward and take communion. But unfortunately, that door was shut to him unintentionally because of rules that were set up, that were traditions. Instead of embracing what God's message is, God's message of love and hope and forgiveness and welcome. There's a man named Raymond Swagger who wrote a book called Jesus in the Drama of Salvation. And Swagger points out in, in his writing that salvation and penitence seem to have exchanged places. It angered the Pharisees that Jesus so easily forgave sins without any apparent repentance as precondition for God's granting of forgiveness. Jesus appears to have reversed the order. Free granting of forgiveness creates the possibility for true repentance. Now, I'm not saying that, that my youth necessarily needed to repent other than he was he, he was taking all of his anger out on God, he, but he needed a place to know that he was loved. He needed a place to know that he was welcome. He needed a place to know that he was perfect and beautiful and a beloved child of God, just as he was, baseball cap or not, because of who he was. And that God had already forgiven him for the rage that he was misdirecting. And that God said, child, I want you to be here with me. When we pause to listen, as opposed to speak quickly, we can hear more. So often in our world today, we're caught in this cycle of talking past each other instead of with each other. We're, we're fast to speak, fast to defend our point, fast to make sure that people know what we're saying, but we don't take the time to get to know someone, to get to know their heart, to get to know their soul. And it's only when we take the time to truly listen and talk with instead of at someone that we can see the beauty that God has created in each and every individual even those who we might disagree with, even those that might see the world a little bit differently than we do. God wants us to be in relationship. God wants us to take the time to step back, to listen to one another, and to be doers of the word, 
to be people who know the grace that God has given and to extend that grace to others. People who know the love of God and give the love of God to others. People who say, I don't know you, but if you want to come to this table and receive God's grace through communion, you are invited to do so. Let's not make knowing God more complicated than it has to be. Let's be people that allow our traditions to be flexible and malleable enough that we can welcome all that God is inviting to the table, to the table. Amen?